So let me hit the recorder, and then we will begin. Um, I'm continuing to address the seductive and coercive assimilation and also persecution that may be a threat or may be actual. And in America, we've always been under the pressure of seductive assimilation. We live in such an um, uh, attractive life that it's easy to pull you away from spiritual things. But we're beginning to see the more coercive assimilation, particularly in schools, uh, and possibly the emergence of threat persecution, uh, if not actual persecution itself. But we have to stand against these things because they're unlikely to go away uh, if they, you know, soon or at all. Now, when we stand against assimilation or persecution, we're not supposed to do that in a belligerent way or in a militant manner, but resolved and certain in our minds because we know whom we have believed and we're persuaded that he's able to keep us for himself whether we live or whether we die. So last week we looked at the renewal of the covenant at Shechem and the rock of witness that was set up as a reminder and a witness of their commitment. This last Wednesday evening we entered into Lent with a witness stone ceremony where we stated our own commitment to resist assimilation and to endure hardship for the sake of the name we bear. I I have to tell you I wasn't sure how many would participate in that. I was very, uh, very happy with the uh, turnout and the participation that we had. Um, Also, I've asked you to read two books related to our challenges, The Coming Storm and Live Not By Lies. I hope you're reading The Live Not By Lies because I want to start talking about some of the content of that book next week. Um, As we wrestle against our culture, I want you to remember that we are not on either side of the culture war. It really pains me to see conservative and liberal theologies aligned with conservative and liberal politics. These are not the same things. And those who connect these are really fighting against the calling that we've been given. We're not to be of this world. And there is no political solution that's going to bring the kingdom about. That kingdom to come is going to come by the Lord. We don't trust in government or military might, or progress, or democracy to solve the human condition. We trust that the Lord will accomplish His purpose in all of this, and we wait for His Son from heaven to return the kingdom to Israel, to gather all who are His together, and to raise us from the dead, so that we will enter into the fullness of His promises. Now, last week, I said there are two methods of maintaining and expanding the kingdom. One is procreation and parenting, and the other one is evangelism, where we proclaim the good news so that some will escape the world and join us in the kingdom. And our priority is the children, even though the converts are important. And again, I'll talk about that later in this this series. I want you to be aware, I think it's really important that we understand that the culture war is aimed at our children, first and foremost. All historically centralized systems of control by governments uh, understand that if you can access and shape the children, you shape the future. 
and our government's becoming increasingly centralized and moving into greater control of all areas of American life. And the most intensive aspects of this push to assimilate is found in the elementary schools. And the secondary schools are also being targeted. And it is also showing up in the universities and colleges. Now, I said that the direction of this movement is anti-Semitic. And that's why we, it's really important for us to be watching for that. It's also anti-marriage. Not only in the redefinition of marriage or the expansion of marriage, uh, which you would expect in a secular culture, but there really is in many circles an attempt to dismantle marriage as we understand it. It is anti-procreation, trying to control the population growth. It's anti-parent, and we really see this. Um, you, you, uh, you really saw that this week in a, I don't know if you saw the news uh, story, but there was a education board that was on Zoom, didn't know it was public, and they really unleashed against parents. And now the entire board has had to uh, resign. But that is a, a glimpse of what is really going on often behind the scenes. And this war is also anti-gender. And as children are being exposed to this kind of pressure, we're going to see that the household is under attack, having less influence and control over the children. Now the text for today's sermon is uh, Deuteronomy 31, verse 9 to 13. I ask you to turn there uh, in your Bibles. Deuteronomy 31, verses 9 to 13. We were at the end of the book of Joshua last week, and uh, we're going back to the end of the Torah uh, this week. And so in verse 9 it says, Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission of debts, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place where he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in the hearing. Verse 12 says, Assemble the people, the men and the women and the children and the alien or foreigner who is in your town, so that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law. Their children, who have not known, will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as, as long as you live on the land which you are about to cross Jordan to possess. Now this passage has always fascinated me. Um, uh, God sets up a system in which every seven years the people who will be gathered together will hear the Torah again, or at least the book of Deuteronomy read. Israel is to assemble, and it includes everybody. It's the men and the women and the children. This means uh, below uh, the uh, age of puberty. And the stranger or the Gentile who dwells with you in your town. Uh, I want you to notice that this is also an inclusion of Gentiles with Israel. Not making them Israel, but including them with Israel. I'm reminded of the words of James in Acts 15 when they uh, were trying to struggle with what 
essential commands should be given to the Gentiles who are coming to faith in the God of Israel. Abstain from blood, things strangled, things sacrificed to idols, and a fornication. As we're brought near to the God of Israel and the Israel of God, these holiness commands were established as essential. And James says, we don't want to bother them too much because Moses is read in the synagogues every week and they will hear. In other words, they will begin to hear which of these commandments apply also to them in this context. Now we're told that the reason for the reading and the explaining of the scriptures is so they will hear, so they will learn, so they will fear the Lord, and so they will be careful to follow all the words of the Torah, or the words of God. We need to hear God's word. We gather every week, and part of this process was um, because they didn't have, they weren't all carrying Bibles around like we have them. We really have a benefit that they didn't have. They had to come to hear the word. Uh, we need to also learn the word. This means not just letting hearing the word, but having the word in our hearts. In other words, memorizing the scripture, thinking about the scripture, meditating on the scripture. We need to fear the Lord. Now, I don't mean be afraid of God so that you're paralyzed. What I mean is we need to have a devout respect for the Lord who is the judge of the whole earth, who can both bless and can curse. He can heal and he can uh, kill, right? I mean, the Lord is powerful and there is a need for a healthy reverential fear of the Lord, to take the Lord seriously. And we need to be careful to follow what God requires of us in His Word. Now this is a full commitment to discipleship and a lifestyle of faith and obedience. It's not simply of saying the sinner's prayer and making a reservation for heaven. And I am more and more concerned about the evangelical world that is less and less instructed in the word, word and think in some sense that they need to get saved and if they get everybody saved, they will change the world. You're not going to change the world. We're called out of the world and we're waiting for the kingdom to come. And then there is a passage that I think is really critical here. It's verse 13. He says, when they gather, when you get them all together, these every seven years, you know what's going to happen. There are going to be new children. There are going to be a, a, a uh, extension of Israel. Because what will happen is there will be children that are born. Uh, and as they're born, they have not experienced, they have not heard the word, they have not lived the word, but they will be included in this. And so he says, their children who have not known will hear and learn the fear of the Lord. So they will be able to also hear that instruction that comes from parents to children. Um, I'm always struck by this person, some like it. Not only do we need to reinforce for ourselves again and again, but we need to be passing this on directly to our children and our grandchildren. 
This faith we hold is both a communal and a generational faith. It's family-centered. And the family, as expressed in the scripture, is under threat. The culture war is attempting to undo marriage and family and household, particularly in the form that Jews and Christians are supposed to maintain. And many Jews and Christians have neglected the centrality of the household for the tra- training of their children in the fear of the Lord. They have, ex- uh, they, they have exported that to churches, Sunday school for an hour, or maybe a, a group that meets a couple hours a week. Uh, but they have also, for the, in many cases, given their children over to schools that are giving them a different agenda day after day, week after week. Many children are losing their identity as believers, and they're losing their faith as they enter into adulthood. We have to reverse this. Now, it's important to understand that there are five contexts that need to be uh, included in what we're doing with the children. The first one is peoplehood. We need them to be in relationships with others who have and keep this identity. Their best, closest friends need to also be believers. They need to have friends, family, and congregation that are constantly interacting with them because this belonging can be lost in one generation. There is a language and words that we need to be using, the the meaning of truth, phrases that come from the scriptures and all of that, that need to be held so that we speak the language of faith and we speak the language of being the people of God. Because this can be lost in one generation. As a historical narrative, as the history of Israel has unfolded, and the purpose of God is found in the scriptures, both in Jewish and Christian history, and really found in its origin in the older and newer testaments. That history now includes us, but the knowledge of history can be rewritten and lost in one generation. There is a way of life that we are supposed to live. We're not supposed to live like the culture that we've been called out of. We're not supposed to live the way the culture is moving. We're supposed to walk in the Lord's ways and in His statutes because we have a knowledge of the truth. It's not just a head knowledge. It's a way of living life. But that way of life can be lost in one generation. And there is a homeland for this kingdom to come, the promised land that it will be given to Israel and to his seed, but will also include the whole earth being part of this. Not now, but when the Lord renews the kingdom. People who are settled in a land, not the one that they come from or the one that they're going, can begin to forget who they are and where they are and where they're headed. Here we have no continuing city. We seek one whose builder and maker is God. We can lose focus on where we're headed in one generation. I believe we have to be careful to stand against this pressure of assimilation. I'm going to talk more about this next week when we look at the uh, Live Not By Lies. To do this, we have to make sure that our children know the Lord, fear the Lord, and they know His ways. And that's why we dedicate them as babies. 
And that's why we baptize and confirm them as they're becoming adults. And in the time between their dedication as babies and their confirmation at puberty and their entrance into adulthood, we have to win the battle for their minds and their soul and their body. The world and the government and the schools have a plan for these children. They want to make them conform to the changing culture and have a global mindset of the world. But God wants them to know and fear Him. And that is our task. And it must take place in the homes, and it must be reinforced in the congregation and in their education. And this may be where we're having our biggest battle. Many of you homeschool, we need to talk more about those kinds of things. We have to be deliberate on our part, because they certainly, on their part, are deliberate. So I think we need to add to the catechesis of our children that they may very well face pressure to assimilate. And that pressure that may be attractive and fun and cool, but they need to know what Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a person, but the end is the way of death. We need them to be able to understand good and evil in a world that only understands mental health and mental illness. And we need to help them understand that there is suffering for doing what is right. That you're not always going to be rewarded for doing what's right. God will ultimately reward us. But there is suffering for living righteousness. And there is a punishment and a price to pay for the blindness of sin. Now we have to do this in a way that doesn't overwhelm them and bring them a paralysis of fear. And that won't be easy. I wanted to talk about some of those things, that, uh, particularly about some subjects that I think we need to talk about. I'm going to put that off. I was in a, I was in a, a steering committee for the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations uh, last week. And they are setting up a virtual conference, a panel, some kind of a discussion of how to talk to children about the Holocaust at various age groups. This is going to take place, I think, around Yom HaShoah in April, some right after Passover, maybe, maybe later in the summer, depending on uh, their planning. I'm going to get that information for you, and I want you to try to be part of that. But when you do, I want you to listen rather than speak. There's a, there's a problem that happens with evangelicals uh, who are not black and who are not Jewish. We tend to speak about American slavery and the Holocaust with an insensitivity to the trauma these things have had on African Americans and on Jews. How much that permeates in their culture. It's sometimes a statement that they are oversensitive. I'm not sure that we can measure that. Are they more sensitive to these things? Of course, you would be too if that was your background. So I believe we can learn in these opportunities in such a way that we can help our children to understand the sufferings others have gone through and be instructed in the potential of our own future suffering should it happen. A few weeks ago, I suggested that we need to answer our children with a, this is the way the world is thinking about this, and some people think this way, but for us kind of response. 
which acknowledges the different individuals and groups of people who see things different than we do. But for us, we have chosen the way of the Lord. And I think we're going to need to kind of script some of that out so that we're ready to talk to them in that way. I'm struggling with this. Uh, I don't know quite how we can do this best. Uh, perhaps now, since we are beginning to regather, we can have some face-to-face -face discussions on how to reinforce the children of the D.C. in being strong in their identity and faith as believers. Because they're facing a world that we have never faced and we mostly don't know about. Hopefully, we will soon be able to stall this last year, those three wonderful baptisms, and then we're waiting to do that confirmation. And that as we begin to create a greater intentionality on the ones that will come after them, we will be able to include more of this instruction and more practical advice as they face the pressures of assimilation and cancel culture that are happening in their schools and in their neighborhoods. Uh, so uh, that's, that's what I've got for today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then I'll open it up for questions and answers.